Here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Okay, okay, my arcade dream, I get a bunch of friends together, we sit down with just a shit ton of quarters, just like too many quarters, and we don't leave until we play the entirety of either uh, the X-Men arcade game or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Turtles in Time. Like, you, you ought to play the entire thing through and you just keep popping quarters in to continue each time you get knocked out. You would 100% run out of money. Everyone says that, they're probably right, but I want to see it through. See, I would just want to go up to like a pinball machine with that amount of change, like a wheelbarrow full of change, park <laughs> it next to it and just go, I got next. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. To transition into Batman talk, uh, I, I went hiking yesterday and uh, I can understand why Batman carries around a bunch of drugs and just fucking get them amped to, to move again. Because like, if I had that choice, I would have totally taken whatever bat cocaine he had on him. To, to get me up and down that hill. Instead, I had to just use, like, normal willpower, which sucks. I'm sure Batman understands that, too. Drugs are way better than willpower. I like the idea of you jamming adrenaline into your heart to just kind of make it up your driveway at the end of the day. This was a steep hill. All right, I say hill, but it's the closest Wisconsin has to, like, a mountain. It's a lot of rocks. It was slippery. It was a slight slope. <laughs> it, it, it was a wheelchair ramp. I always saw a child fall to his, probably not death, or like rubber, but he would have fallen to <laughs> grievous harm. I saw a child fall to his death. I did nothing. <laughs> I, I kind of, I like, I made a token gesture to be like, I'll catch him if he falls. And like, I know, I would have missed that kid. I, I totally would have biffed. You just, be, everyone makes that gesture for legal reasons. It's just to make that's it. Like, that's so he can sleep at night if the kid actually falls down and brains himself. Just be like, oh, I tried, man. I wish I, I was more physically fit. I wish I was Batman. He would have stopped that kid. Oh, well, time to sleep. <laughs> Personally, I just find it's fascinating that uh, in a post-Arkham game world, we've all just become weirdly acclimated to Batman occasionally pulling out syringes of goo that he injects into himself to hurt people more. <laughs> That's a I wrinkle mean, I... we've all gotten used to really fast. Yeah. yeah. Did what, what did you guys think about the idea that that was actually Venom? I've heard a lot of people say, oh, he's injecting Venom. People think that's Venom. It's adrenaline, you fucking morons. It didn't occur to me that it was Venom in theaters, but they're like, I was in a green bio. I'm like, eh. It's a cool idea, but I think it's just supposed to be adrenaline and it's green because comic books. This makes a lot of sense to me. I'm on your side. I, think I mean, I'm on my episode. side, too. Yeah. yeah. We, we should say, oh, is the episode once, started? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Anyways, welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. Tonight, we've got uh, a bop focused on, you guessed it, the Batman. Um, geez, unlike the Batman, this is going to be over really fast if we just keep diving into things halfway through. Oh, well. Jamie, could you start us off by singing an even sadder version of Something in the Way? Underneath the bridge. No, that sounds more hopeful. It's okay to eat fish. Because they don't have any semen. I may have gotten that wrong. Mm, yeah, I think you know, <laughs> small, Jamie's small, small typo there. <laughs> I, uh, but maybe still correct. Uh, Jamie's rendition was like a sad version of something in the way, but it's like a sad version of a Talking Heads cover. <laughs> I was, I was thinking like in a, in a, like a kid show where the kid has to sing to himself to get encouraged, and they end up singing the song very sad. 
Like it's it's a sad cover of their own happy tune. Yeah, you, you sing that, you clap, and Tinkerbell comes back to life. It's a whole fucking yeah. thing. <laughs> if Jamie sings this song three times in a row, Robert Pattinson will gain his wings. Oh, it's beautiful. So, spoilers for the Batman. I think we've already uh, ruined some things if you heard us talking about Batman. Here, Sarsgaard exploded. <laughs> Boom! Dead man walking. I don't, I don't think it's a surprise here. We're all pretty big Batman fans. We all really enjoyed the new Batman. Uh, well, I'm speaking for you, Jamie. I'm assuming you liked it. I'm speaking for you, Mike. I assume you liked it. Unless you've been lying to me for like the last two weeks. Don't on you chat. speak for me, you son of a bitch. I mean, you're correct. I'll keep but doing it. You'll never take me alive. Assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Well, cool. I got you at the same time. Oh. It's a Pyrrhic victory. Oh, oh fuck me. <laughs> but anyways, absolutely <laughs> love the Batman. Uh, I was a little nervous going in just for the runtime's sake. Like, man, you got to kind of prove it when it's that long. Oh, yeah. But I, I loved what they did. Uh, another question you always get from people that are skeptical about a new superhero film is, why do we need to see this again? Because we've had... You know, pretty much a nonstop amount of Batman since 89. But I would say they, they've taken the idea of kind of drowning things in realism that you saw in the Nolan films while pumping that up with a little bit of a throwback flair. It definitely has an older time kind of noir aspect to it, like a neo-noir, not, not like 40s noir. And it, it's focused primarily on being a detective story. There is a lot of action to it, but it's a different formula than what we're used to with Batman, especially looking at like the last two Batman films from the Snyderverse. So I was, I was really into what was being put down. I thought this was a, a good way to change things up in the Batman universe while not straying too far away from what we always want to see when it's Batman. Yeah. Not to say like, oh, I wasn't just deathly excited for some motherfucking Batman. But yeah, I mean, when I, when the news first hit that it wasn't going to be just a continuation of the of Affleck's Batman recast or not. It was a little bit exhausting just from the aspect of, oh, are we going down the ultra realism route again? Are we doing dealing with yet another reboot? You know, it's kind of blowing your <laughs> How many times way. do we have to see Martha and and uh the other guy, the other Wayne die? Yeah, it's like can we just can we be a little bit further down the track? And but, you know, it's Reeves, so it, you kind of just roll with it and then the Pattinson casting. Well, that's a lot of benefit of the doubt. Like, everyone involved is so talented, you go, oh, this will turn out well. Yeah. And really, just throughout the entire marketing process, but just watching the final movie, there is definitely nothing that has touched it as far as the way it's made, the style, the, yeah. the way they approach the material. I mean, you can draw uh, comparisons between, you know, Burton's Batman and Nolan's, if you want, or Nolan's and and Snyder's, and each one is com a completely different flavor of Batman in and of itself, but it still feels wholly Batman. And that's well, the funny thing to me, though. Everyone Batman, fanboys will always look at Batman's, and even if they're apples and oranges, they'll be like, they're both Batman in different ways. One has we, to be better than the other, and they'll fight over. We it have no to reason. compare Adam West and Val right. Kilmer for some reason. <laughs> for some for some reason, you can't just say I really enjoy most of the Batman films. You can't be a fan of Batman sixty six and Batman eighty nine or Batman Returns or Batman Forever and this Batman and the Nolan Batman. It's like you have to pick one, or else there's something wrong. With it you. has to be specific. Um, there's one winner, and the rest are losers. It's it's very that, weird, but that, that, that mindset that people get into about it. Yeah, but that's what's great about like. Pretty much the entire series, even if it has been flows in quality, they're all so different. You can look at it as completely different beasts. 
but a lot of them do have just basic crossover because it's they're stemming from the same comic book influences essentially. Right. And even though this is hitting the same comic book influences as the Dark Knight, it's arguably I think something that is more all encompassing of a Batman that's never been touched on film before, both from a time period in his life, the approach to the character that is reminds me more of the animated series than anything else. If I were to take anything and then very like, even when we do origin Batman, um, it's, it's never feels like a kind of loose cannon Batman, you know, Nolan's Batman begins was still very year one and Miller's, early Batman was learning, but he still had his shit together. He, he was laser sharp. And this is something that uh, it's more akin to both in, in style and substance of these between arcs. Like, like yeah, we're looking at the long Halloween, but he, there's a lot of just individual stories instead of just going back to the you know Dark Knight Returns or Batman Year One or Frank Miller and stuff over and over and over again. There's a lot more low. There's there's a little bit more Denny O'Neill in there, but also just a large, wide swath, especially of modern, and going purposely for different looks. Gotham doesn't. It has a little bit of goth of of gothicism in it, but very little. It, it's has an antiquated look, but also grungy and, and grimy in that. So splashes of neon that remind me a little bit of like Arkham, the Arkham City games and that that design, a little bit of like Jim Lee's Gotham uh, cityscape, which I've always really liked. and I think is a really underrated Gotham look. It feels the the look feels more big town to me than what we've maybe gotten in some of the Nolan stuff. Nolan took real cities, which is the ironic part, but it feels more like when Nolan was filming, he did a lot of stuff where it's like, hey, look at the skyscrapes, you know, look at look at the outline of the city, and it it's was big. a lot of Chicago. Whereas this, I like the parts around like the Iceberg Lounge, that that kind of like overcrowded city areas where you're kind of having no ability to see the sky because there's like an elevated train in the way and there's skyscrapers that go up 10 stories all around it. I like that. It, it's very claustrophobic. Anton, Anton it's, it's very like the way Anton first um, went about it or just the city that is seemingly just built on top of itself, built on top of itself, built on top of itself. It just run down like you can smell Gotham. What, what does Gotham smell like to you, Jamie? If you were to put a smell on Gotham. Uh, like the musk that uh, wafts off of the National Mall in D.C. Just r something that has not been washed out in a very long time, and everyone has just stopped smelling it at this point. This sounds like one of those uh, custom colognes that I would never want to order, but it would be interesting <laughs> to have in my bathroom. Well, there's so much environmental storytelling done through the locations in this movie. It's very interesting walking out of the theater and knowing everything you know about Gotham by the end and seeing at every single environment communicated that this is a city that on the surface has been pretending to be renovated for a very long time while corruption has completely pilfered all the money that was meant to be spent on that. So there's this slight thin veneer of Gotham. It's getting better, but it's just the world's most polished turd. <laughs> like, I love the time, the bullshit Times Square 
section of Gotham you briefly see, yes. which is like a nightmare version of Giuliani's Times Square, where you have all the TVs and all the light and all the money there. But it is still very clearly a version of Times Square that is falling apart. And that's that's something I've never seen in a particular Gotham before. That tells the story of the corruption in Gotham more than any conspiracy plotline could. There is so much environmental storytelling here and so much geography. Like The first thing that popped into my head walking out of the movie into the parking lot was, for the first time in any piece of Batman media besides the games, I feel like I actually kind of know my way around Gotham. Like, I understand where things are in relation to yeah. each other. There's, like, you spend so much time in the bridge area surrounding the Iceberg Lounge that you mm. feel like you're a local by the end of the movie. And that's something we've never gotten from Gotham. Gotham, even Anton first Gotham, is very much like a disconnected series of locations that are aesthetically linked. This Gotham is an actual city. The funniest yeah. thing that surprises me, like the weirdest stupid little detail to pick up on, is uh, when Gil Coulson leaves the Iceberg Lounge, he has his like SUV parked front, like right in front of the building, like in a special spot underneath the bridge, which is one of those things, like having lived in larger cities, the ability to get good parking anywhere near your event without having to pay for like a ballet and a lot of, you know, razzmatazz around it shows like, oh man, the corruption. This guy's got so much power. He has good parking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hidden parking because he doesn't want onlookers to know he's there. Yeah, which... yeah, it's his own vehicle, which is hilarious. Like, you think someone keeps tabs on that? I don't know. Maybe he's got a separate vehicle just for making drug trips downtown. But it just it just cracks me up because it's like you know everything you need to know about that character. Like he's supposed to be the DA standing up for what's right, and instead he spends his time at that place and and drives home drunk essentially. <laughs> but and he's got really good parking, which all the you know the commoners and plebs could never dream of having who knows where bruce wayne's parking his motorcycle but you know it's not anywhere within like two blocks he's got to park that fucker pay for parking renew the app every two hours uh, a brief tangent i'd completely forgotten that scars garden was in this movie and until the credits i thought that was cory stoll <laughs> i yeah it's the they look very thing. similar these days yeah yeah, I, I totally spaced that he was in the movie until I saw it. I want to actually use this to transition into talking about the actors because uh, there's so much to say there. But Sarsgaard has, I would say, an interesting character because he, like, obviously the guy's kind of scummy. The Riddler blows him up for a reason. But you don't get the sense that he's pure evil, like the kind of guy who needs to have his hands crushed by Batman. He's pathetic. He seems just, yeah, pathetic is really it. Which is interesting because a lot of these guys, hey, money is easy and I don't have enough spine to stand up and say no. So I'm going to take the easy route and, and enjoy it, which is a nice way of doing politicians because I, I think a lot of it is for show just kind of have that easy life. Or there's a lot of people who would be very tempted by, you know, $10,000 a year and extra money just to fuck around and kind of be a louse. Yeah, there's so a I lot of that was an interesting way to take that character. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like there's some that are more like overtly greedy or overtly evil, and and some that are a little more wish washy. I mean, the way they even describe Thomas is like super. Where, yeah, his, his hands are a little dirty, but he's not a he wasn't a bad person, but he still did these things. Like there's so well, many. It depends different, on who you talk like, to. I think scale. everyone gives a little bit different version of uh, Thomas Wayne. It feels like. Which yeah. is fine because we don't actually have a flashback to show us what he's like. So it's okay. I mean, we're in Bruce Wayne's position, right? He only knows his father through the stories other people tells. It just plays into the theme of unanswered questions. And it and it 
adds to Bruce's overall naivete of how crime works and, and what corruption is exactly. Like, I love how much Bruce just doesn't really know anything. Yeah, well, it, it, okay, let's jump to Batman. Uh, it feels like this version of Batman We're going to be all doing... over the place, folks. Oh, I try to give it some structure by going off a cast, and I realize the cast is really cool, and there's a lot of areas to talk about. Ah! But with this version of Bruce Wayne Batman, I, I like that it starts. There's a bit of an arc for Batman where it, he's conducting this as an experiment, right? The end goal is he wants to rid Gotham of crime, which he believes he can pretty much do by just beating the shit out of it. And if he scares enough people, crime will go away. And two years into this experiment, he realizes it's not working, which gives us a really interesting arc for Batman, where, you know, typically he learns a thing or two by the end of the movie. But this one, it's him self-realizing what he needs to be and what he needs to stand for. So he's developing the concept of Batman along with the audience. I thought yeah. that was a really neat way to do that. The idea that you go from Batman being almost a slasher villain at the start, where people are just terrified he's anywhere in the darkness, to literally being seen as is like a ray of hope you know he's filmed in the morning as the sun's coming up people don't want to let go of his hand because he's a savior and bruce realizing that's what i need to do that's what i gotta be for the city batman describes himself as a living shadow in the opening scenes and ends the movie holding a fucking torch and leading people into yes. the daylight that is so beautiful I love, and it's an arc you don't quite until that one Riddler goon says, I'm vengeance. You haven't quite put the, the puzzle pieces together of the arc you're watching exactly. Like, you see the arc Bruce is going through, but how it all completely fits together, the, the true meaning of it all hasn't quite clicked. And when he says that, and it, it's not the character repeating something he heard Batman say, it's the philosophy of the Riddler and the realization that you've, gone down the wrong path that it's all stemming from the same same place and it, it's honestly one of the it, that's why it's one of the best uses of riddler because so much of riddler is misunderstood as he's one of the characters that's part of batman's id the same way joker two-face is or scarecrow or others that they represent facets of the character and this really gets that and, and hones in on them being kind of the same and and actually makes Riddler a great origin villain um even a you know two years in or whatever to to Batman's career that that Bruce has just become like Cody said a, a, he's a slasher he's a living shadow just, just going about <laughs> when he comes out in um, the opening scene you know set on Halloween where the guy's being beaten up by all the thugs dressed in kind of like almost Joker makeup when he comes out of the darkness, it just made me laugh in theaters a little bit because it reminded me so much of uh, Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> the bear Jew. Like, there's such a buildup. You know he's coming. And you almost get, like, the sound of spurs as Batman, like, walks and all of his gear kind of rattles on him. And then he just comes out of the darkness and just wails on these poor motherfuckers. Just absolutely destroys them. I love the sound of Batman walking. It's, it's so heavy and it's like fucking RoboCop. Well, they can turn it on and off, which is the funny thing. Like, obviously, it's a cheat, but I like how he can announce that he's coming as a threat to these guys when he wants to be scary. But they still do the traditional Batman is a ninja thing when they want to and have him just disappear. Like, he can be oh, it, dead it, silent it, whenever it suits him. I'm, that's not a complaint. Like I a, like that. A, yeah, it becomes like a cool, unwritten, like, character thing where he can announce himself audibly if he wants to. He can do it for fear or he can just come in silently. 
Yeah, after God. Batman would be the worst roommate. Do you know how many times I would freak the fuck out if just Batman decided to not make noise when he entered the apartment? I would hate that. I would be like, yeah, I would, would accidentally throw my pizza in the air. He'd eat all of your food, but only at night while you're asleep. Oh That's God, true. Could and he could afford his wake... own. Can you imagine you wake up in the middle of the night, walk into the kitchen, Bruce is there eating chicken in like a t-shirt and underwear, but still wearing the mask? You'd shit yourself. <laughs> Okay, speaking of Bruce Wayne being in your house eating your food, that'd be the worst, because this version of Bruce Wayne is like a zombie as a man, right? He stinks. He's, 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 I, he's not shower. Like you would not want to socialize with Bruce Wayne at all, right? He, as Bruce Wayne, Pattinson can barely function. He looks like he's zoned out. He he just, he's, he's not there. He, he's totally checked out. An approach a lot of people haven't liked about this Batman, but I absolutely love. I, I love the idea yeah. that Batman is him being alive, and he feels like when he is not masked up, he is so emotionally scarred and broken that he, he shouldn't be seen or noticed, and yet everyone wants to look at him. I love the flip that puts on the attention that uh, the Riddler craves. He wants all eyes on him, and he wants to take the mask off and be seen. Bruce Wayne wants nothing more than to really disappear into the shadows. And so much so that he can't even go to a funeral and talk to people who want to help in the same way he does. He just he can't connect in any way. It's it's a really nifty approach to the psychology of this guy. You know, the, the running joke is what kind of person would dress up like a bat and beat the shit out of criminals? Like there has to be something deeper wrong with this guy than just a pent up rage. And I think this is the first movie to really give that in like 89. Yeah. You get that uh, Keaton is a weirdo and a little bit reclusive and aloof. But it's still functional. This one, it feels like Bruce Wayne is so mentally fucked that if he didn't have the ability to disappear into Batman, he would go absolutely bonkers. Like, he would just shoot himself. I think another, uh, a pleasant side effect of Matt Reeves uh, sticking hard to exploring unexplored territory with this movie is, whether intentionally or not, he ends up exploring a lot of stuff that we've only been given lip service to in other Batman projects. And in particular, he hones in so much on the idea of Batman as in a, a completely emotionally shut off, dead to the world human being, which is something we're often told about Batman in movies and here and there in the comics, but it never quite connects because at the end of the day batman still kind of acts like a dude when he's got the mask off this is yeah. the first time i've ever bought that bruce wayne has seriously not moved on from watching his parents die he is still a 10 year old boy who has no idea how to interact with the outside world in a way that isn't that isn't a a situation where he isn't where he thinks he's in charge I guess such an interesting like wrinkle to why he would like you were saying earlier why he would even wear the costume in the first place like if he's walking out as Bruce Wayne he's not in control of anything but if he can choose his appearance if he can choose when to strike if he is always the alpha of the situation then you know he's safe he's there's he's well, not going to be in a position where he's vulnerable yeah well I absolutely love the line where. It, Catwoman was kind of flirting with him, and she asked, what's underneath the mask? Are you horribly scarred? And fucking buzzkill Bruce Wayne goes, yes. Like, just dead serious. Like, as a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> which which plays to the character, right? I mean, without the mask on, I think he just he just feels so self-conscious about what he is <laughs> that he does think of himself as, you know, scarred, hideous in some way. 
maybe not physically, but there's that idea that he just mentally knows he's damaged goods and he can't connect to other people. Which really leads into the most emotionally honest and beautiful scene I think we've ever seen between a Bruce Wayne and an Alfred. Yeah. When they're in the hospital together and they have that moment where Bruce Wayne literally admits, I'm terrified of losing the few remaining people I have, so I just don't allow them to get close enough to hurt me. I mean, that's a, that's a huge driver for Batman. That's a good therapy session there. Good job, Bruce. And it does, from everything you've seen from those two, and specifically from how Bruce interacts with the world, when you get to that scene, it really does feel like, oh, this is the first time they've ever had this conversation. Like, yeah. like Alfred has probably been trying to have this conversation since the night the Waynes were murdered. But Bruce is so shut off that could never happen. They've never talked about anything that isn't, we need to do this, we need to do that, I have to do this for the mission. They've had a purely practical relationship since that night, despite Alfred's best efforts to father him. And the fact that they end that sequence as surrogate father and son for the first time, that's one of the most beautiful things I've seen in, a, in any superhero movie. I think the recipe to a solid, emotionally good superhero film is to have somebody in a hospital, head, a hospital bed reach their hand out to the hero. Like, it works for Ga Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Take my <laughs> hand, Peter! It's, it's just like, as long as you have someone messed up in a hospital bed trying to take the hand of the protagonist, the audience is going to be into it. Like, yeah, yeah, take that hand. Do it. Have emotional closure. Yeah, get it. It makes this Bruce simultaneously the least approachable and most down-to-earth Batman at the same time. Like, something Pattinson said that has been rattling in, around in my head since seeing the movie, which is in that opening scene where you first see Bruce like enter the crime scene and interact with police officers who aren't Gordon for the first time, He's really, really, really embarrassed because he's because the mayor has just been murdered and he's walking around in a stupid superhero <laughs> costume. And he didn't realize how weird this looked outside of his own head until they were all looking at him. Which again, This is why I could never go to a Comic-Con. Like, I'd be on the subway dressed up as, like, my favorite superhero. I'd be like, I'm an asshole. What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> so I can – I really appreciate that idea for Batman even being like, uh – the only way I'm going to get through this crime scene is if I say nothing to anyone and only scan for clues. Just look for clues. No one's judging you, Bruce. It's okay. And you can totally see that in Pattinson's performance in in those crowd scenes until like maybe he like explodes in anger or becomes a little bit more comfortable. Where he looks very intimidating. He's standing there like he's and, and Reeves shoots Batman like he's ten feet tall at all times. <laughs> but there is an awkwardness and the way he whispers isn't just to do like a batman whisper but he's kind of like just keeping it to himself right he doesn't really want to interact with anybody and not in like uh, you know i'm anti-social kind of way just uncomfortable just being anything else but violence well we get we get a lot of fear out of this batman which is something again we get lip service of in all of the other movies but this one we see batman being afraid in a lot of scenes uh, like yes. when he gets knocked out by the explosion and he wakes up and the cops are all around him and he immediately panics and goes into defense mode because he doesn't know if they've taken his mask off. He doesn't know if they're planning on arresting him. He just, you can see it's a fight or flight thing. He just panics. And <laughs> it's a, it's a first to see a Batman that's that concerned who isn't underneath like the, the fear of the, the effect of fear toxin. 
<laughs> so it's or or when he jumps off the building and he has to try out the, the flight first suit. time he ever jumped off a fucking tall building and he's terrified when he gets up there i love that so he much a, he has a spider-man reaction that was amazing i think it gives a lot of depth to the character that you can see a batman who is supposed to be built on fear right bats scare me we get that concept, but now we get to actually see it a little more. Even when Batman has to reach into the bat cage, you can see the the trepidation as he reaches in, which I'm associating with the fact that he's afraid of bats more so than he was worried there's some sort of bomb inside of the cage. Yeah. I, I, I think like there's, a, the idea, there's a lot of silent storytelling going on in the movie. Yeah. I like the idea that this Batman is really driven by fear a lot of the time and turns that into kind of a bravado through violence. Like, if I beat this guy up, no one can think I'm afraid. Yeah, it's it's I mean, that's the classic like or like early Batman Bruce Id stuff, right? It's it's the little kid being able to attack Joe Chill and save his parents. It's just rage and fists. That's what's so great about when he hits the adrenaline at the end and nearly kills the guy. I mean, it's it's the full realization of, oh, Batman's been on the brink this entire movie. We just haven't really noticed well, especially after Alfred gets hurt, you can see there's a, a change in the performance where he's a little bit, I don't know if angrier is the right term, but uh, scrappier about things. Yeah. There's a moment at the end of this movie that absolutely floored me because I've never, ever seen this in a Batman story. Not even in year one, not even in Earth one, which uh, untalented fuck up Batman that we that from that is a, clearly a big influence on this. Whenever the Riddler's bombs go off and Gotham is flooded and all Batman can do is protect AOC from that assassination attempt. <laughs> uh, you get so many shots throughout that entire sequence of Batman watching Gotham be destroyed be, be, before his eyes. And he's terrified and powerless to stop it. If that were Keaton's Batman, he would have pulled a gadget out of his ass and stopped everything from going wrong. If that were Bale's Batman, he would have been on the phone with the GCPD. He would have had five Batmobiles out there, and he would have stopped the city from plunging into chaos. When Batman sees Gotham flood at the end of this movie, what's going through his head is, oh, fuck. All I do is punch people. There's nothing I can do about any of this. I can't even stop the stadium from being destroyed. All I can do is prevent people from being electrocuted and lead them out. Like, there's that amazing shot where we just linger for a little while on a very defeated Batman, just like jumping onto that cable before the water can be electrified, just dangling there for a moment, and then cutting it and hitting the water and i was wondering in the theater like they're presenting this like it's very significant but it's just batman doing a minor batman thing after a crisis and i realized this is the first time batman saved anyone in the entire movie pretty much i mean the rest are you know he's maybe stopping someone from being killed like uh the falcone situation but this is like direct saving. This is directly like yeah. I, I'm here not to beat people up. I'm here to actually like also stop a bit of a self sacrifice moment because he doesn't know whether or not yeah. this is about to kill him. <laughs> and that's why it's so great. He rises out of the water. It's a total like rebirth moment, and that's when he lights up that fucking flare. And 
that is such great storytelling and leading to that, you know, morning breaking. And he gives the, gives the, just the tiniest smile to that kid, like truly giving to his younger self, what he always wanted, what he always needed in that, in that moment when his parents died. And it's such like a brilliant, this is the kind of word that a that's Batman. Like that is Batman right there, but it's also giving such a brilliant origin to Batman without, actually going into his origin like, that's what we kind of want out of it we don't just want to see his parents die and then oh, I, will the reason I, I will up. avenge them <laughs> blah, blah, blah. yeah I, I don't i don't i don't want like the bulletin points version of batman's origin i want the emotional <laughs> i don't see like, pearls falling in slow motion i get angry mike <laughs> martha martha so one one thing i want to get away from batman just because we we'd spend weeks talking about this and I want to talk about some of the other actors. A, a point I want to clarify though, because I've been confused about this since I left the theater and I don't have the ability to rewind the movie yet and check out cast listings. The last Riddler thug that gets taken out and says, I am vengeance. Was that the same man who was at the funeral that was talking to Bruce Wayne? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought actually, that was the case. Yeah, I thought that was the case, but I didn't see a lot of people mention the two connected. So I was like, am I making shit up here? Is this headcanon? I haven't seen people mention it very much, but yeah, it was it was the same guy. Yeah, like that would make the most sense. And that's part of why Batman's so shocked, too, because like, oh, I saw that guy before and I saw he's hurting and I couldn't do anything for him. And he became this. So anyways, that's an aside. I'm glad they threw that in there. I'm glad I was paying enough attention to notice it. Yeah, but it's a true birthing of Batman as something more that Bruce can do more than just fucking punch some motherfuckers well and i've been part of that too is him rescuing the politician who wants him to put his money to use and actually do good things yeah. for the city uh yeah i love that there's it, a moment where somebody approaches bruce wayne and says you're the richest man in town and you use your money for nothing that's wrong because <laughs> you don't get the impression that this that Batman is a multi-billion dollar operation in this film he is sitting no. on the majority of that money because well, there's, there's probably those contacts got to be expensive, but still, <laughs> right. There's the idea that there's there should be billions of dollars in a fund somewhere that he just doesn't do anything with. Yeah, this movie is very, very self-aware of all of the Batman discourse that's gone around in the past 10 or 15 years without ever really putting too fine of a point on it. Yeah. OK, I, I want to move on, though, from Batman. I swear to God, it's going to happen. No. Uh Oh no! Can we talk about uh, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman? Because I, you know, I've read all the Batman stuff, and I've never been that interested in Catwoman. To be honest, I feel like it's the same couple of stories played over and over again of the will will they won't they love angle. But this version of the character made me care much more about Catwoman than I ever have before reading the comics. Like I, I think she's great at giving these glances at Bruce Wayne and kind of teasing him, but also having her own story where it's like, Hey, if I'm not getting help from Batman, fuck it. I'll do it myself. Yeah. She is very, yeah. uh, Ed Brubaker, Robin hood, bat, uh, Catwoman in this, which I was absolutely delighted to see. Cause that was one of my favorite comic runs of all time. And there, there's a, an air of mystery too, where we're unsure at points like Batman is if she's, kind of exploiting Batman to get closer to Falcone for other reasons, or if she actually even feels bad about her, her roommate friend, uh, whatever the situation was there, disappearing. And uh -huh. yeah, there's this, just kind of that level of, is she playing him? And, you know, the motives, I think, are more pure at the end than they appear. But I, I like that level of mystery and playfulness that's involved with the character. Like, you can never be 100% sure exactly what she is aiming for. 
Yeah, it, it's it's very hush in that regard. Uh, to, to bring up another two uh, thousands comic run. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I normally get very bored with Catwoman whenever she's presented like exclusively in the context of her relationship with Bruce. Because yeah, those are very circular stories, and you can only do that so much. Mm-hmm. While I do feel like uh, a flaw of this movie, one of the few is they hit the gas on the relationship a bit too much too soon. I do love that was the only thing I would I would action movie. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I hold do on, love... hold on though. We do have a Batman movie that feels a little steamy for and once I, here. I know. Like just, so just oh, like the as fuck scene. We all love oh. it. We're all gonna watch it over and over again and do just, things to ourselves. That's not the point. It's for the movie. They the... can release it separately for us. <laughs> what a weird bonus feature! Just fucking Robert Pattinson kissing various members of the crew to see if you get off. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. I'm down. But it's a fine uh, special feature. No, no, it's included. But what I'm saying is like there, there's, and I like this too. This is this is interesting because we have Bruce Wayne and his like kind of hobo gear watching her from across the street like with binoculars and it gets past the point where he needs to watch her like she's stripping down and he's still just staring like he's a goddamn villain in a De Palma film (laughs) I love how objectively creepy Bruce is in that scene right like there's nothing yeah, it's like about it at all he's being a bad person in that moment yeah you keep expecting to put the soul because I mean, look how we, what do we open the movie on? Riddler voyeuristically watching a victim. Yeah. Bruce says the same exact thing. Like, there's... Ah, so that's what they should have done differently. When the Riddler gets his Ave Maria right before he murders people, Batman should have had Nirvana playing quietly in the background as he, like, fought the urge to masturbate while he... Just humming it slowly to himself. Something... Yeah, baby. Uh... It's one of those things because you keep expecting, though, to put those binoculars down and to stop being a fucking creep. And yet he keeps going <laughs> like just long enough to make it uncomfortable, but not long enough. We were like, I'm reconsidering if I think the Batman's any good in any capacity. And there's scenes together, too, like the playfulness between them. There's there's real chemistry here. Something we haven't gotten maybe since I would say Batman Returns. Yeah, it was yeah. A, a big relief to see a Batwoman and cat. Uh, <laughs> Hey, God, I wish this was Batwoman and Catwoman. That would have been much well, more interesting movie. Well, well, well. It's, go, great Kate, to see a Bru- it's great to see a Bruce and Selina relationship that is based almost entirely on playful flirting. Like, I think my favorite interaction between them and the, t- the entire movie is the end, where they just kind of somehow flirt through their motorcycles as they pull <laughs> off in separate direction. I will say that that is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful shot of, you know, Selena Kyle going into the sunset and vanishing out of his rearview mirror. It's really good. But the only thing I'd complain about in the movie is the back half feels like it's got Return of the King syndrome where they just can't end it because there's too, so many little things they still want to show us. Some of them are important. Some of them need to stay. Some of them like that moment, as much as I love it, I maybe would trim that scene down to just her disappearing and cut some of the dialogue before that. I, it's good stuff, but it does feel like it drags the movie on longer than need be. In theaters, that that gets to be a little overwhelming. Sitting with it, it's not so I bad. You know, sitting in my head, I think, oh yeah, that's a really cool scene, and you don't have the same experience of having to wait 180 minutes to get to it. Yeah, I... it might be a different experience at home. I I, I understand people's complaints with that, uh, but I also felt like a lot of, at least for me, a lot of the Coda stuff was 
properly earned. I, I like kind of going into a soft landing after the like huge emotional crescendo of the third act. Yeah. Like so everything after like the the morning break scene on the rooftop of the stadium feels I, I would like to be let down from the film that way instead of, you know, a quicker cutoff. Yeah. I, I'm one of those people who like like I think I'm in the minority that I actually really like four act movies. I really like long epilogues where we get to say goodbye <laughs> to characters. Like I love movies yeah, that I have a novelistic goodbye. approach. Like, I, I love to just sit down one. At, I love to sit down and just watch a movie like Inherent Vice, where you just exist in a world for three and a half hours. I'm okay say- with that when you know it's a movie that will most likely never get a sequel. So this is the end of your time with that character. With something like a Batman or a Spider-Man, you're like, I can almost guarantee in two years we'll have another one. It's a, we don't we don't need to have like a super extended wrap up, but that's just me. My my only complaint as far as the runtime goes is I feel it has a little bit of hateful eight syndrome where none of the scenes need to be cut out, but there's just a lot of air in some scenes that needs to be shortened. But yeah, even that like, I would say is only like a margin really... of like five minutes or so. How did how did everyone feel about the Joker scene? Because I would have completely chopped that. I would have cut that right out of the movie, and I think we would have been fine. I liked it. It's fun. I liked it a lot. I I understand. Like I'm really fascinated by Matt Reeves' justification for that, which is that was originally cut whenever they cut the longer uh, Joker scene earlier in the movie. But in watching it with test audiences, he kept thinking, "I don't think the audience really." buys whenever selena says gotham will never change like that feels like lip service and even with like the the whole no man's land set up and the rise of the penguin he didn't think that there was enough of a bullet point that no seriously this is go- just going to become the batman universe and keeping in that that coda was kind of his nod to that which is kind of the impression like i got walking away like I know for a fact Matt Reeves is not going to make the Joker the villain of the next movie. Like, I, I, it was nice have it knowing that beforehand that that was not something he was going to pursue. It felt very appropriate to the universe, and it felt like that was an interesting epilogue for Riddler. Like, wh- it's focused on the Riddler, the scene itself. So yeah, I think that's one of the reasons it works. Yeah, it's such a great and it's such a great final statement on the Riddler too. It makes it clear the, that. He's not defeated. He will come back bigger and better. Whether or not we see that or not is up in the air, but things are not done between the Joker and Batman. And it sums up the most basic thing about any version of Edward, which is he has absolutely no self-esteem that that comes from within. But if just one singular person tells him he's awesome, he can use that to fuel his ego. Because he is an entirely yeah, it's the Riddler meeting the devil character. at the end. Like the way Joker's shot is, he's the he's the devil. Like because for the most part, Riddler kind of won. I mean, yeah. not completely, but he still mostly won. But to, to Edward, it didn't go one hundred percent, so he lost. It's either one hundred percent or he's just not good enough, and no one knows who he is, and it's it's all ruined now. And then Satan pops up and says, "No, no, no, you can do so much more." And that's what I like about it. Joker is serving a purpose to the villain of the movie you just watched. It, it's a nice ending for that. And also a nice little, a little bit of a of a tease of the greater world. The world's going to keep going. 
there there's a little bit something there um I, i'm glad there's not an earlier scene with the joker that would have um, been a big mistake. Yeah, i mean the idea is cool but that, yeah but that would have just been you you can't just like th- introduce a new batman and a new joker in the same movie and then not have the movie kind of focus on them it, it just doesn't or at least not to a greater extent you can't just do that in a cameo but i also like somebody the somebody at wb which is, an executive at wb would explode if you introduced the joker but didn't make him like a main part of the movie like <laughs> exactly he would, he would just spontaneously combust in his office while writing a very angry note like why are you doing this to me but here's I think is like one of the greatest compliments you can give the movie itself which is this is a batman movie that has a one of the last scenes teases the joker in a scene in Arkham Asylum where he's talking to the Riddler, and he's also played by an actual actor who was just in a fucking Marvel movie. And no one's really talking about it because the rest of the movie is so interesting. This does seem like a good segue into talking about the Riddler. One, I was interested when they call, uh, cast Paul Dano as the Riddler, because like, dear God, finally, the world's most punchable face will meet the most <laughs> punching fist. It's, I know! Okay, I can't just say a complaint oh, real quick He's gonna get it, he's gonna get it. Yeah. Look... The minute we all saw Paul Dano in There Will Be Blood, because that's the face, that's where we all first saw him. We Some thought probably this saw him is a man. That, oh, yeah, that one, too. But this yeah, is a man the friend and the girl has next been door. put... <laughs> yeah, Mike, get your shit together. <laughs> the first time we ever noticed Paul Dano, let me rephrase that. This is a man who was put upon this planet Earth, in this cosmos... To get the shit beat out of him by Batman. <laughs> and I'm a little bit bitter that he was... It, it's like... We got blue balls. It's like Reeves knew. Yeah, it's like he put him behind glass. So it's like, no, that way you can be with the rage of Batman not being able to punch him. I will say, for once we got a plan where the, the main villain was arrested. But it wasn't so he could, like, get a key out of the fucking commissioner's office and escape again. I was so happy about that. Like, tee part of the plan batman which it was but his plan was i'm gonna be arrested see ya <laughs> oh uh, okay you can sit in prison this works i get two hots in a cot <laughs> i love how it's not even entirely clear if that really was part of edward's plan or he just skedaddled to a diner where he didn't think they'd find him <laughs> could go either way i i like the uh, the version of this riddler of having a series of contingency plans like batman like he's almost more prep time than this batman is which i, I really like it's like batman learning prep time from the riddler <laughs> it's like he kind of just rolls with anything that happens well there's an attention to detail with his murder scenes too right because we have batman screwing one up because he translates uh the the spanish wrong then there's uh, the moment that he realizes yeah and then there's the moment where he realizes like oh I should have been paying attention to the murder weapon, which was very unusual. We probably should have thought there was a reasoning behind that instead of just like he picked the most weird ass random striking object possible. And then at that point, Batman figures out, oh, here's the last clue. It was hidden underneath the carpet. Stuff, stuff like that. Like, okay, if you're going to have a detective story about the world's greatest detective, he's got to be on his game. And they make a Batman who is very impressive as deduction skills, but still clearly flawed and a Riddler that's able to outriddle him, which is fantastic riddler is a tough character to pull off if you're not giving him weird ass like 66 energy or jim carrey energy because the idea of a man who just asks confusing questions is tiresome on itself 
And nowadays with everyone having basically access to every question that's ever been asked, a straight up riddle doesn't even work. So this version gets some new twists and turns where he's mostly the Zodiac. Like he's, he's so confusing and up in his own mind that the way he talks and communicates truly only makes sense to him or people that are attuned to the insane thoughts that he's having. Which is so like, I'm fascinated how that's both a commentary on a lot of shit that's going on in the world today. And it's also just a natural progression of what the Riddler's been going through in the past decade of comics, from Paul Dini turning him into uh, a sociopathic detective uh, that can solve cases right alongside Batman, to Snyder, uh, Scott Snyder's uh, revamping of him into an, an information broker who's obsessed with all the dirty secrets of Gotham City. This is just such a perfect uh, distillation of all that. This is such a good evolution of that character well and and the little wrinkle that this version of the riddler is desperate for attention so he's driven by a, a small amount of online fame my god he's got 500 followers hey guys <laughs> hearing the riddler say i couldn't have done any of this without the community you guys give me is the most riddler thing in the world <laughs> oh god that was such a brilliant turn and that's the coolest idea I like wrinkle in the concept of henchmen I've seen in years. Like, no, and in, in today's world, if a if a villain needed henchmen, he'd just get his Twitter followers to kill somebody. <laughs> right, just whip him up to a frenzy. Here, put on these masks. So yeah. at first, it did crack me up in the theater where they're like, he has five hundred followers and acting like it's a big deal. He's like, motherfucker, I think I have three hundred or not three hundred, but close to it on Twitter, and I'm nobody. Like, I leave a comment, I'll maybe get like two of my friends <laughs> to say something. I Riddler can't have that high of engagement, but it's just the idea in Riddler's mind, you know, having 500 people tell him like how fucking great you are and are willing to go murder innocent civilians. Yeah, he's, he's got his own cult that's supercharged and he only needs that small community. He doesn't need thousands of followers to make it realistic. Yeah, I love how that's a number that you laugh at. And then like 15 minutes later, you realize that is a terrifying amount of people who have guns and will do anything Riddler says. That flips so quickly. Raiding the Capitol. Yeah. I'm fascinated by um, Joker, the film Joker, and Riddler in this play on a lot of the same prescient themes. I, I, I don't know. Like, from just a standpoint, it's interesting that Batman media has stumbled upon to comment on this specifically in, in such a like pinpointed way. And and with with Joker, it's like a, a it's a cautionary tale um, of how these things can happen. And with with Riddler, it's it's focused on Batman's reaction of not doing enough and causing it to happen. But it's I'm just curious as to like how Batman media of all things and just kind of inadvertently these two have these uh, thematic crossovers with one another. I don't know. I didn't see any ties to what's happening in current life whatsoever. There was none. There was absolutely none. Nothing. No commentary. Nothing. Nothing about QN and nothing. None of that was there. It was absolutely, positively a one hundred percent fantasy world. <laughs> one, I would like to say, it is very unusual because in this version, uh, apparently the Pied Piper Trump-like leader of this cult is funny enough to make jokes like thumb drive. And in the real world, we don't get that. They're just shitty people. It was a good joke. The thumb drive was a really good joke. Was I love how joke. Riddler was, was still joke. kind of silly. 
<laughs> Silly, but like great, after having murdered a man with a claw hammer and then tearing his thumb off while he's alive. <laughs> but that's what the great thing, like when Riddler is serious Riddler in the comics, which is most of the time, <laughs> he, he's not, he hasn't been fucking like pajama wearing Riddler, I don't know, since the 60s. Um, but he's still like kind of jokey and he's a little bit silly because he's just off kilter. Like he's just yeah. on a different level. And I love how this really does capture that where he's aware he's being funny. Like he's not just a goofball. He's having wanna, fun with like his sociopathy. Having a good time. I want to use that as a transition though, because <laughs> Jeffrey Wright's reaction to the thumb drive joke. So fucking done. Wonderful. My just God. my God. Just like, man, come on. I, I, we, We've gotten a lot of Gordons over the years. I mean, there's always a Gordon when there's a new Batman, right? Uh, but most of the Gordons feel of a kind. This one, I, I, I like that he has that kind of put-upon reaction to thing. Like, oh, Christ, okay. And just the informal language of him just like, seeing Batman at the crime scene and going, oh, man, what are you doing? I love how much this Gordon says man. <laughs> it's it's a guy who's just accepted that his whole life is fucking insane nightmare territory and he's just like I gotta punch in and do my job anyways as best I can oh, I, Christ, I am obsessed with the choice to make this jo Jim Gordon the most banal smaller than life Jim Gordon we've ever seen which makes him infinitely more interesting and accidentally heroic than the other Gordon. Like Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey Wright, Wright has just been stringing together so many amazing performances over the years, and it's kind of his calling card, right? Like, he has an incredibly important character who might, like, influence the fate of mankind, but he plays in this kind of beaten-down, low-key manner, like, kind of quietly frustrated, and it's not showy acting most of the time, but it's stuff I love. Like, he's, he's quiet and assured in what he's doing, and it's always a spectacular performance. I remember the lead up to the movie, right, saying uh, what was going through his head when he was playing Gordon was Jim isn't a good man. He's an OK man, but he really, really wishes he was a good man, which that that is Jim Gordon to a T. That is a normal person who walks or who stands shoulder to shoulder with larger than life characters. And doesn't necessarily want to be them, but he just wants to be a little bit more than what he is. And where he succeeds and fails in that is the drama of Jim Gordon. And this is the first movie that's ever, like, actually honed in on that. Yeah. I do love, I, I would love personally if, uh, considering how Gotham made us wait until the end of the series to see Gordon earn his mustache for a scene. <laughs> I would love if uh, however many movies Matt Reeves makes, like the final scene is Jeffrey Wright walking out of a bathroom after having just washed his hair, which is now fully white with a little spit curl. <laughs> He's finally Commissioner Gordon. I like the idea of he steps out of the shower like this, the fog clears up, he wipes the mirror clean, starts shaving, and then he goes to cut the mustache off and hesitates and his eyes flick up and he looks himself in the face credits and you know he put the shaver down he didn't cut the mustache <laughs> commissioner like the gordon inception? rises <laughs> is the mustache shaved or not that's what everyone debates for dun, the next six dun, years dun. <laughs> <laughs>
the Hans Zimmer score fucking blares. <laughs> ah, I want to talk about scores, but we have a couple more actors to get through, so we'll, we'll get back to that. I promise. Let's just. Uh, Are we talking about to, Colin Farrell now? Let's go. Yeah, Colin Farrell. We have to talk about the Penguin. At first, I was thrown off by this choice because why would you bother taking an actor and putting him under that many prosthetics to, to kind of dirty him up? Why not just hire a character actor who's you know already pretty stocky or balding? And in the end, that makeup is so fantastic you don't even realize it's Colin Farrell in in like fat mobster drag, and he is quietly probably the funniest part of the movie. Like he provides what not quite comic relief, but the closest thing the movie would give you to comic relief. Playing a version of the Penguin who is simultaneously an absolute disreputable piece of shit who you can buy doing just about anything to save his own ass, but is also more human and engaging than any of the criminals who are above him. Like, there's a weird almost sense of uh, old-school criminal honor that the Penguin exudes. Like, you can tell that's a dude who's been pushed around his entire life. And has uh, scraped and crawled his way through the criminal underworld to just be a lapdog, a black dog for older, less ambitious criminals. And you can see that rage and resentment in every scene with that character, which is such an interesting way to play the penguin's thirst for a spot in in high society which has always been kind of a, a running thing with the Penguin, has been interpreted in so many different ways. I love that that uh, is played, I guess, something that relates specifically to his life of crime in this. Like, the moment when he looks at Falcone, like, as he's being perp-walked out, and is disgusted that he ratted to the cops. Like, that, that is so against the code of the old-school gangster. Like, and as slimy as he is, that's the one thing he wouldn't do. He would, you know, he's fine with graft and bribery and breaking bones and lying, but to be a narc, come on. Even also, though he did kind of have to get that information earlier in the movie. Yeah, uh, but also to <laughs> really laugh. One thing in the world. Yeah, it's, do as I say, not as I do. The the penguin having to waddle after being left behind after the Batman gets the information he needs from him. Oh, <laughs> just that's so good. Like, just just a stupid little caller uh, call back to the idea that this is the penguin, even though he's already in the iceberg lounge. It's it's so silly, but I I laughed anyways. I'm so happy we've reached a point where you can just introduce the penguin as the penguin and not explain why he's called the penguin and everyone just calls him the penguin. He's got a funny nose and he's kind of short. There we go. Penguin. Although we didn't get to see him with an umbrella, and considering how much it rains in Gotham City, it seems like a huge misstep. He, I would have assumed he would have been the one with the umbrella, but he seemed okay with the uh, with the Fincher rain. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I was I was blown away by, I was uh, I was fascinated to hear Matt Reeves talk about that, because apparently they actually filmed that to get his reaction in real time with the explosion. I assume they would have just filmed him as a separate element and just composited him into the really? explosion as one yeah. less thing. Wow. And they, they had it figured out, the cinematographer figured out a way where they could have the camera position to capture the explosion and Colin Farrell, like, doing his, I got you moment, all, all like, at the same time. Uh, and they, they only got a couple of cracks at it, I think, because the setup was so long <laughs> to do and so complicated. Yeah, that's but why that, he's, That's amazing. That's why he's screaming so loud, because Reeves had to take him aside and say, 
we're only doing this twice. So you have to go in at 11 immediately. And if it's too much, then we'll take it down for the next take. And that first take is what's in the movie. Which, that's just bananas, isn't it? Like, my God. To imagine acting under those conditions. One, you're covered in so much latex and makeup where it's got to be tough to know if you're emoting properly or if things are coming across almost invisible because they're, they're masked that way. And, and two, the pressure of it. Like, you got to nail this or you've wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> Dear God, I don't know if I can handle that kind of strain. I'd fuck it up. And how does Colin Farrell still look good in the suit when he's wearing a fat suit? Anybody know that? <laughs> How's that? Uh, Hollywood he, magic. It's the air he exudes. That bull it's, that, it's that old Grindelwald magic. <laughs> <laughs> Why wasn't he Grindelwald? We all ask it. Uh, we got Mads now. Uh, if if I bother seeing the third one, I'm sure that'll be an improvement. It, it, but, yeah. At least, the movies look yeah, they have no interest in making Grindelwald interesting. We're not going to review Harry Potter shit. Let's, let's move on. I just want to say that we got that trailer before the Batman, and since neither of us had followed the project at all, my girlfriend and I had a moment of looking to each other and mouthing, They made Mads Grindelwald? When did that happen? <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty quiet announcement. Why not? I, God damn it, I said I'm not talking about Harry Potter. <laughs> There's We're moving on. Two, two things I want to talk about, and we gotta we got to move quick here. One, the score. Let's talk about Michael Giacchino's score. My God, what a beautiful piece of music. Batman's theme that kind of bridges into something in the way. Woo, chills. How is, how is Giacchino so fucking good? It's how is amazing. he so flexible? I don't, I, I'm more impressed by the fact that we've gotten so many anything. iconic Batman themes throughout the years. How do you crank out another one? Like, people have to know all the tricks and all the usual stuff you'd expect for a scary guy who dresses like a lunatic and beats people up. I don't know how, like, we managed to do the, the Elfman theme, which is amazing, and then you've got, like, the animated series version of the theme, which is, I mean, probably, like, the default one in my mind. The Batman, uh, the the Nolan version of the score, all very different, and I don't know how we keep cranking out wonderful Batman themes. I don't I don't know how these guys do it. They're they amazing. They all have great fucking themes. I mean, even um, the Goldsmith theme is fucking banging. But, fuck, I, I think what's great is Giacchino brings back something that's been missing from superhero movies um with all of his the scores for superhero movies he's done but it feels like specifically with batman which seems most appropriate the march it's not just a theme yeah. it's a march yeah hum when you leave the theater well it's a little percussive in spots too which i think really works for this type of movie that has a driving beating mystery underneath it i'm fascinated too by just how much of a classical Batman uh, sound this score has by sheer virtue of Michael Giacchino just naturally being Elfman-like in how he composes. I, I'm obsessed with the yeah. fact that every time Selina shows up, suddenly strings enter the score and it's Batman, yeah. it's Batman Returns for a minute. <laughs> I, was, I was so impressed. It's hard in these days and age to find a, a superhero score I would listen to as I drove around town. Maybe like Thor Ragnarok had the, the kind of cool moments from Mark Mothersburg, but over, overall, a lot of the Marvel themes I just kind of forget about, or you maybe have one theme that kind of stands out. This whole thing, it's like two hours of score he composed for this. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's all catchy. It's beautiful. I am completely stunned you know, by the sound. You can track. listen to it all in one go and it all flows together beautifully. 
I'm fascinated. Even the Riddler score is great. Which I didn't even realize until listening to it by itself earlier today is a reworked, distorted version of Ava Maria. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, I, I've listened to that score several times since since watching the movie. Today's the first time I've noticed that because it's actually very subtle. You, like, you really have to be listening for it. Oh, that's really cool. Oh, damn. Not to mention, the thing I was not expecting is this... The entire ad campaign, since pretty much the the DC fandom teaser, has been laser-focused on Giacchino's Batman March. That, uh, that very, uh, Hans Zimmer-esque dun, 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 dun. And by the time you get to the end of the movie with its hopeful turn for Batman, that march becomes... A very beautiful, stirring, and heroic Batman theme. Like the, the it's fact like a, that it's like it transforms into the Elfman theme almost. Yes, yes. The fact that that track is called "The Bat's True Calling" fucking actually got like a little bit of a tear out of me when I was looking through the the album uh, when I, when <laughs> I got beautiful. home. Then on the other know. side, there was the fact that that March naturally just kind of flowed into something the way apparently it was unplanned they just they had that song set they totally wanted to use it then they listened to giochino score and they were like oh damn these could bridge into each other pretty easy they just happened to be on a similar wavelength the way they were working it, it cracks me up though that fucking nirvana sales rose like 700 percent over the last couple of weeks like something in the way is now like a top 10 chart piece of music i can't go a day without hearing it like on a tiktok or like even on the radio or something Something Which in is the way hilarious. is a good song. man song. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> and I'm obsessed with the fact that they did not cut out the semen line. There is a Batman movie where dripping, the, the lyric drippings from my semen is heard twice. Is that actually in the song? I think, I think you're making that up from hearing something. I'm, I'm desperately looking up Batman lyrics now. Oh, no. <laughs> It, it, for it's, a whole generation of kids, song. this is going to be the Batman song. They're going to think of Nirvana as Nirvana is the Batman guys. It still boggles my mind that that entire Batman suite was composed before they'd even officially cast Pattinson. That was just a thing Matt Reeves commissioned from Giacchino so they could pitch people on the movie using the score. Giacchino I, just uh, had a Batman theme in him perfectly. But Jamie, I don't want to disappoint you, but apparently the actual lyrics are and the drippings from the ceiling. Is that what that is? I, I have always missed. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were joking, honestly. I just thought you were going with your opening joke still. Yeah. So I was like, I was just I, I do I was I was just gonna ride with it. <laughs> I've spent twenty years thinking that. I mean it's Kurt is. Cobain. It's it's, it's yeah, Kurt Cobain's understand. Defense. It may it fit it fits with the rest of the song that Cobain would just say, and the drippings from my seat. Right, like not all the lyrics make a ton of sense. The rest of the album pretty well. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it's what the inspiration for that song was. Kurt Cobain imagining, what if I was under a bridge, homeless, dying of AIDS? So it's not insane. <laughs> and that has everything to do with Batman, right? <laughs> yeah, you made the song your own, though. That's the important thing. <laughs> Says a lot about me as a person. Yeah, that's um, an interesting Rorschach test that we just stumbled upon. Uh, so I was listening to uh, Pat Oswald on a, a podcast talking about like one of the books he put out, and he contacted David Bjorn to read out like talking head lyrics, and he sent him what he wanted him to to say for the narration of the book. 
And Bjorn got back. He's like, uh, like half these lyrics are wrong, man. He's like, I'll still read them. And it's good. It's fun. I think it's cool because you took the song and interpreted your own way. Once I put it out there, it's yours, right? The, like the musician doesn't own the song anymore once they put it into the airwaves and you think about it. So that's how you interpreted the song. That's what it meant to you. That's cool. But these lyrics are not right. And uh, we just had that experience with Jamie and Nirvana. I hope we have that experience with Matt Reeves. Like he listens to the episode. It's like, guys, guys, you got it all wrong. That's what it says? Jesus Christ, what have I done? And he goes back and he makes the Batman more profane, gets an R rating. It's like, no, no, but the point of Batman that ending just was Batman needed to kill under people. his breath constantly. <laughs> Matt Reeves is in there like, hey, did you see the sexual tension and the creepistry happening between Batman and Selina? It's, it's, it's semen dripping. It, it's semen dripping, and it will be. Okay, one more uh, thing. I, I, I've seen Pornhub. There's going to be a scene between Falcone and Selina. <laughs> oh, no, no. Also, God, am I the only one who just kind of assumed we'd get John Turturro for a scene or two? I was not expecting him to be Lucifer. I, yeah, I didn't really expect I, him to be a I main just, character. We got real actors Turturro, too. That was the best part. And just everyone him, pronounced his name him, right. Like being hired to be wacky. There were there were like two pronunciations of Falcone and Falcone. There there were there were like two different ways of people kind of flubbing it, I think. <laughs> Which is fine. It was the, no, they no said it was Falcone. Falcone. They said it both ways. Uh, a newscaster does they, say Falcone at one point, which kind of Yeah. Like there are different shades of people saying his name. <laughs> I blame no one for that one. <laughs> now it makes me confused. Like I used to have strong opinions on how it was said, and now I'm like, was I always wrong? Was I right at any point? I don't know. No, I I can actually say this. There's actually no joke here. It's the name is traditionally always pronounced Falcone. Nolan just for some reason decided to make it overly Italian sounding by adding an <laughs> e at the end where it's Falcone. It it would be spelled with an i if it was Falcone, not an e. An oh, e I'm in Italian name oh. is so Sicilian would be silent. Ah. That's the real reason people listen to I our show. I have marinara in my bit. blood. I know these things. I, Jesus Christ, you should get that looked at. That sounds painful. Oh, oh my arms me. are crazy, Brad. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, God, my arms are crazy, Brett. I would be so... Uh, this is, this God, is a better be segue than you thought, because I wanted to talk about the most important part of the Batman that everyone has just kind of moved on from, and that's the gimmick tie-in Batman food. Ah, oh, it's fucking pizza. It's back to the pizza, baby. <sighs> First, I want to say, uh, because I tried this, I, I need to talk about it on the show just to like get my money's worth. I got the Little Caesars Bat Pizza, the one that's shaped like a bat. It's a pepperoni pizza with wings, and for some reason it has a calzone head and tail. I, I ordered this thing one night just feeling particularly manic and just like, I'm, fuck it, I'm just going to eat the bat pussy. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand why they made it like a well. weird... They made it a weird dripping calzone for the ears and the tail. It doesn't make any sense. I understand shaping the rest like a pizza pie, but uh, anyways, this is the first time I've had Little Caesars in years, and they really need to put more sauce on their pizzas. That thing was bone dry. I will maintain that regular hot and ready Little Caesars is remarkable for a pizza that you can just walk in and buy off the rack. That's a miracle to me. Yeah. I mean, even for like six dollars or something, it it fills the hole. It's it's fine, but still, yeah. This one, it my memory of it was much better. Actually, as a kid, I used to be totally excited for Little Caesars, and I, I picked this guy up, and I'm like, man, I just want the back calzone parts because there is 
like no sauce whatsoever on the rest of this pizza. <laughs> They're trying to cut corners. They're cutting out the marinara. My girlfriend makes pizza for a living, and I showed them a photo of that, and the look of professional disgust on their faces. <laughs> everything, everything about that pizza is made incorrectly. It's That's not a thing that should up. exist. Also, it's uh, the official name is the Batman Calzone, which is a thing you never want to actually say to a server. Like, I've ordered <laughs> the Batman Calzone. You can just tell they're looking at you like, sir, you're a grown man. Stop this. Yeah, that will be uh, 1050 and all your self-respect, sir. Yeah, right. <laughs> I also got a peanut butter uh, cookie dough pack with it, and it, that was that was also very tasty. It was an awful night for me. I just ate like the worst <laughs> foods possible. Good. Zero you're regrets. Now. You're, you've actually been Pretty dead much. for weeks. Yeah. Bonus, uh, the calzone was only $8, so man, I, at least it didn't hurt my pocketbook too much. But on the other side of this, now we have the prestige cinema restaurants that have their own Batman food. I was very jealous. Mike, you went to an Alamo draft house, and yet you you told us you did not get the got ham fried chicken sandwich or the Enigma I regret popcorn. it, okay? But no, I didn't the get it. The utility belt get, I looked, red I was beer. Very tempted. The, the Dark Knight cocktail. sounded disgusting. The Dark Knight cocktail. I'm looking at a picture of it on the Mondo or the Draft House website. It's it's uh, Sailor Jerry spiced rum with grapefruit and maple syrup and topped with ginger beer. How is that a Dark Knight cocktail? What part of that is Batman? <laughs> There's nothing in any of those any of those menu items that have anything that are remotely related to Batman. It's like Mad Libs. <laughs> um, I don't know. The Enigma Gotham? popcorn does what the have. Fuck is that? What? what? <laughs> like Gotham, you know. God ham, Gotham. It's the sandwich Gotham needs, according to the website. It's served oh, with fries, a pickle spear, and justice. I don't want to eat justice. I don't know, it's good for you. Anyways, the, the real miss, though, Mike, was the Enigma popcorn, mostly because it just sounds tasty. I don't know what it has to do with the Riddler, but it's popcorn, it sounds butter, cinnamon sugar, garnished with fried churro bites? I'd eat that. That's that's like eating breakfast. Like I feel like cereal, they could have at least like made it crunch. green. <laughs> yeah. They could have also sold it sense. for uh, St. Patrick's Day. Just carried it over. So anyways, we'll never know what that menu's like because I'm too far away from a draft house now, so I'll just have to dream. However, on my side, uh, we have something called the Flix Brew House in town, which is just a ripoff of the Almo Draft House, like the generic version. They had the Gotham City Pizza, which was hot Italian sausage. I'm assuming because of Falcon. Red onion. I'm assuming because, I don't know. Red and green peppers because, <laughs> I don't know. Blood. And five cheeses. Five cheeses represent the different boroughs of Gotham. I don't remember if that's right. How many? Was it seven vans or five vans that the Riddler blows up? I think they made that up. Yeah, I don't think this has anything to do with Batman either, to be honest. And then also confusing, they made a drink, the Enigma, which was vermouth, Silvergate Cabernet, Sauvignon, uh, Monin Strawberry, and Lemonade, which means it's a very red drink. Which, why not green? Why not, like, anything green in this drink to make a green Riddler drink? I just like the unintended comedy that that's not even his fucking name in the movie. <laughs> so I'm going to say, overall, they tried really hard to have tie-in food for this movie, and it let the film down. So it's a real shame. That's, that's my biggest complaint about the film. It's not the movie kind of stopping and restarting and going a little long. It's the fact that the best thing they made out of this whole thing was Got Ham. That's the real Harvey Two-Face. <laughs> I, 
can't wait until they put a Two-Face in another one of these movies, and then we get a half-burnt, half-hamburger. The other side is just raw meat. The only hamburger that will absolutely kill you. What what I'm saying here is, when the Batman hits streaming services, it's our duty to go into our own kitchens and make our own proper Batman food. It's the only way we're going to get through this. Although I might end up making the goddamn on my own. It looks delicious. <laughs> I, it does actually look really fucking good. I'm not, I'm not against us doing that for a commentary, as we all make appropriate the Batman-themed food and try to do better than all of the marketing did. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just... <laughs> I had the idea in my mind that the drink I would make is just pure alcohol and I'm just dumping a fucking <laughs> like a liter of whiskey down my throat. I'm like, it's vengeance. Exactly. It's vengeance on me. Ugh. I am the dark heart of Gotham City. <laughs> when they hear this pouring, it's not a signal. It's a warning. <laughs> So that's something to look forward to. I think uh, it's it's almost guaranteed that we're going to go back in a short amount of time here once this finally hits streaming and do a proper commentary episode. So I hope everyone at home wants to hear about eh, 245-ish, 250 of us really nerding out on Batman, like to a disgusting level. This was not even scratching the surface. You got you got like the shielded version of bat nerdery. Now we spend 45 minutes just talking about the Riddler's backstory. This is, this so is us just the tipping. Like, we're just, this, this... like, just on the outside, just rubbing, just in a... Am I getting too graphic for you, or are you guys into this? Just, uh, just in I'm not putting circle, my binoculars just, down. Just about, just about to, and, and just... And then just leaving the room. Like, just leaving the room, just without a word, getting in your car, driving away. Butt-ass naked, Mike, hard as a rock, just... Are you... Never speaking you... to her again. And that's how my last three relationships ended, and I think it went out good. I'm concerned that you're edging the audience of our show, Mike. I don't know if this is the way to get them back for the next time. <laughs> then again, we haven't tried it before. So maybe sexual frustration is the chemistry we need to draw audiences back in. Folks, if you like being aroused I mean, but isn't... not climaxing, you can find more of Box Office Pulp. <laughs> Fuck, was that a smooth transition? I'm impressed with my self. Yeah. I couldn't even finish it with so good. Fuck, yeah! Folks, if you enjoyed this episode for whatever fucking reason, uh, you can find more Box Office Pulp at Box Office Pulp on Twitter. Uh, we have BoxOfficePulp.com where you can find our whole backlog of episodes. Many of them are commentaries. Some of them are uh, informal kind of reviews like this. And sometimes we just pick topics of different movies or movie themes that we enjoy and want to explore more through conversation. Uh, we would love it if you check those out. If you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts, be fantastic. We'd love it. Really help us out. And if you uh, also uh, need help getting to all of like the different subscription services we're a part of, which is like Amazon Music, Spotify, blah, 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 we uh, go to pod.link slash box office pulp. It's, uh, it's a really handy dandy list of uh, everything we can be found on. Uh, yeah, on that? new one. Oh, neat. Uh, yeah, we, we were aggregated on there a little while ago, so I claimed it. And now ah. it's dandy dandy. Gave us a nice little uh, easy to get to link. And yeah, it's really nice. Show it to you. I'd high five you, Mike, but who knows what we've been doing with our hands. That would explain why there's this OnlyFans link here. <laughs> Join our OnlyFans. I don't want to see the box office pulp OnlyFans. It'd just be box <laughs> office pulp guy like, hmm, I'd rub butter on my nipples. Would you? Box Office Pulp recommends going to fans only. It has less of a chance of getting struck down. <laughs> so much Anyways, folks, porn. Oh, no. Oh, no. We've opened up the fucking Pandora's box here.
Oh, shutting things down. I'm shutting it down here. We're getting out. Thank you so much for listening, folks. That's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. And like that, he's gone. Oh, God. Now all I can imagine is the Riddler in full costume. I'm Jamie, I'm oh, just... Oh, God. Paul uh, Dano in that mask wanting to get oh, really no. into, like, cake farts. No. I was just imagining Jamie doing a slow strip while also saying the incorrect sad version of something in the way. <laughs> I love that that's immortalized in a podcast forever. I had a moment where I'm I forgot, so like, have I, I've been singing this song. I've been singing a semen song. Is that, is that on me? I will maintain that it's not any weirder than most of the lyrics from that album. Yeah, I mean, it would have fit, something, which is why I panicked and had to look it up. Brokenheimer. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.